Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. On today's show, I sit with Andrew Ellis. He is a passionate educator who is brave enough to teach middle school boys at St. Edmunds Academy in Wilmington, Delaware. I am always impressed with anybody who is hanging out with junior high kids because to me that is like the hardest time and the most challenging years for kids to go through with all their hormones raging, etc. And it truly is Andrew's passion. We had a great time talking about how he looks at education and how nurturing relationships with the kids has fundamentally changed the way he teaches and how he's creating success for each one of his kids in his classes. My name is Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor. The one thing that I get asked all the time is, how do you achieve success in business and make an impact? In each episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs and visionaries who share how their leadership has changed not only their lives, but the lives of everybody around them. Hey, Andrew, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today because as a middle school teacher, and I know I said this to you before we started recording, but I am totally in awe of anybody who can handle, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds, because I know what I was like as a middle schooler. And I know what my two boys were like with like their crazy antics. So welcome to the show. And thank you so much for being on. Thank you. I've heard a lot of great things about not only your podcast, but you as a person, Emmy. So I can't wait to get started. Yeah, me too. And I've got to ask you, like, why did you become a teacher? Because I think it's one of the hardest jobs out there without a ton of reward, not only financially, but sometimes it's really frustrating to get through the process, I think. So yeah, absolutely. So I was lucky enough to always want to become a teacher. I can remember as early on as like eight years old, wanted a whiteboard from Staples. There was Staples right by my house and I wanted my, my mom to go get me a whiteboard. This is when whiteboards were taking over chalkboards in classrooms. And I would always try to teach my little sister, who's four years younger than me, about fantasy football. So I would put down a bunch of football players <laughs> on the whiteboard and expect her to... Uh, Expected to learn. I would create worksheets and all that. So from a very, and I always wanted one of those fake grade books or like one of the old school grade books that like teachers oh, put yeah, yeah. numbers in and then they had to calculate it themselves at the end of the quarter. So I always wanted one of those and just, you know, to have to have like a fake school almost, but I've always wanted to be a teacher ever since. I can remember and I always excelled at when I had to teach my peers in school because, you know, I would get all into making the worksheets and grading them and things like that. And slowly did I learn that grading is not as much fun as I thought I once thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I was one of those lucky kids that always knew what they wanted to do with their life. Uh, just, right. Sure. I always wanted to be a middle school teacher, but I do really enjoy it now that I have had, this is my fourth year being one. So I've always really enjoyed kids in general. That's amazing. So I'm curious, is your sister like an expert in fantasy football? No, she, she knows nothing about it. I'm not even sure she remembers <laughs> me trying to be there because she was so worried about playing with her dolls and being a girl and playing and, you know, doing girl things that aren't fantasy football. So, but she, she, I remember her being a good sport about it and she could see my passion from an early age. So she just went with it and good for her. I, that, that was nice of her, but she is by far not a fantasy football guru or doesn't even follow it. So <laughs> I guess I failed to influence her that way. 
however, you had lots of practice in creating worksheets and, oh, oh, and grading plans. Lots of practice. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was fun. And like I said, I've always wanted to be a teacher at an early age. So I always knew when I was looking for colleges, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. It's just a matter of figuring out at what level and what I wanted to teach. Right. Now, you teach at St. Edmund's Academy in Wilmington, Delaware. And was there a reason why you chose private over public? Yeah. So first, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but I I really love working at a private school, but especially at St. Edmund's. I have a lot of creativity in how I operate lesson plans and with their curriculum. So I can, we can really talk about in social studies, especially, you know, current issues and getting them to voice their opinion, how to voice your opinion and how to have a conversation without you hating each other on your way to lunch. It's nice to actually hear what they have to say. And um, I'm a big believer, especially in the history classroom, kids need to learn how to think is and less how to regurgitate. Like, it's not important to me about uh, when did this event happen in history? Like that's just a regurgitation of facts and they don't have to apply any knowledge at all. But if I asked them, should we celebrate Christopher Columbus Day? Why or why not? And explain that to me. That takes a current day issue, ties it in with a, ties it in with a historical event and they can really, you know, oh, I have a voice. I have an opinion. Like my opinion kind of counts. I'm, right. I'm graded on, I'm not graded if my opinion's wrong or if Mr. Ellis thinks my opinion's wrong. So it's nice for them to kind of realize that they have this mind and their mind can work in really miraculous ways when they, when they really sit down and think about it. So. Yeah, I so agree with that because it's a part of how I raised my kids. Like that was one of the things I did very differently was that my kids had a say in what we did and as a single mom, but as we did as a, as a family and it was interesting as they've, I mean, they're 18 and 20 now. So as they've grown up and, like they really expect to one have an opinion, but they're far more thoughtful about right. what it is that they invest their time in or what they're looking at or how they're they're viewing the world. So tell me how like how do you see having almost that critical thinking and the expectation of being heard, I think in a different way than traditional education. Yes, yeah, so maybe. I- uh, playing into the more, you know, just learn the facts and memorize things. Yeah. So I think as a society in general, we're, we're evolving so quickly. There's jobs that these, that we don't even know about that these kids are going to have an opportunity to apply for when they graduate college. Right. So jobs Mm -hmm. in 15 years are going to be a lot different than jobs now. So I think our education system is currently set up to how it was created. So we were, they were forced to give information back and go on mm-hmm. and go on and go on and go on without, without really having to think about much, right? They would go yeah. to the Ford factory and do the same thing over and over, go over and over and over again. And that's really like the model that our current education system is based on, right? Is, is that of educating a factory worker, which there's nothing wrong with, except that the factory workers of today need a higher, much higher level of technical skill than even you know they did well 100 years ago but right it's jobs and the job market's elevating so quickly and i think too like it's like we're we're not evolving with them because it's comfortable 
right? Our mm -hmm. current education system is comfortable and we don't want to evolve with what's going on in the outside part of the world. And kids are coming out of, you know, middle school and high school without critical thinking skills. They're just so used to like, okay, this is what the directions tell me to do. I'm supposed to go in the textbook and find this piece of information, put it on my worksheet and I'll get a good grade. But where does the thinking skills come in? That's just knowledge. That's the lowest level of thinking. So yeah. I think I think we're a little behind in that regard. Yeah, I would agree. Just they're not able to problem solve in the same way. No, or like think abstractly or apply knowledge or anything close. Yeah. I always say the too many multiple choice questions. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so when are you gonna able to, when are you ever gonna do a multiple choice test when you're in a business or like when you're a diplomat or when you're God, that'd be so easy, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> like there's no there's no job that I'm aware of that you go take multiple choice tests and look in a textbook. So um, right. but there are plenty of jobs that you have to have a conversation in and be able to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. So by you allowing them to have a lot of participation and really have and share their opinion in a neutral space, you're giving them the opportunity to think critically, but really allow them to expand their thoughts and, and what's possible outside of kind of the linear box of school. Exactly, and I think it's so important for them to have opinions on every issue, to know how to obtain that opinion with facts and be able to back up your opinion, but know that just because you have different opinions doesn't mean you can't be friends with that person. It's just you guys think differently on issues, and that's totally cool. It's not going to be the first time in your life that someone disagrees with, how, with your opinion on something. But right. the idea of having a conversation and at the end of the day, not so much convincing one another, but having a polite conversation to where you guys can both listen to each other and maybe not agree, but understand each other's viewpoints a lot better is important to me. Yeah. Now, have you always taught this way or is that something that kind of evolved through your years of teaching? I think as you get years under your belt as a teacher, you kind of learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I'm not saying my kind of, there's 10,000 ways to teach, right? It's just like there's 10,000 ways to coach, but this just worked for me because this just works for me and my personality and how I want to relate to the kids. But I, I think this has evolved over time into where I'm really, I'm really happy with how things are going. And again, I can always evolve as a teacher, but right now I'm really happy with where I'm at and the kind of things we're doing in the classroom. Okay. Are there any other events that made like a really big impact in how you teach or your teaching philosophy? Yeah. So I, when I was in high school, an introvert, undiagnosed depression, I didn't, I got diagnosed with depression after college, but I was very, like, very self-conscious of myself, did not have a lot of friends, did not have a social life, and it's just because of how I thought about myself, but none of my teachers knew about that, I and mean, I didn't feel comfortable telling them about that, not because I didn't want to, because I didn't know I could. I did have this gym teacher named Mr. Anderson, who kind of stepped out of his way to get to know me better as a person. Um, and there's a story where I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I've always have been. And I was, there was this NFL quarterback named Matt Schaub who went to my high school in 1999, went to the University of Virginia, and then was, got drafted by the Atlanta Falcons when I was at my high school. And this guy was like my ultimate hero, <laughs> as much as a professional athlete can be. So I got his rookie jersey and third round picks don't sell rookie jerseys. So my parents got this custom made for me for my 16th birthday. I and mean, it was, I guess, me and only his mom had his jersey. And I saw this jersey day, actually, it's in my car. But uh, Mr. Anderson walks to my math class and he's like, Andrew, I need to see you real quick. And he tells my math teacher, hey, don't, he's not coming back. I got to talk to him. So 
Mr. Anderson then proceeds to tell me, like, go check, go, I want to see the jersey, haven't seen it yet, go in your locker and get anything of it. I went in my locker and got my jersey, and as I'm walking into his office, which was in the basement, I see this tall, gangly, athletic-looking guy, and it was Matt Schaub. Um, so he was like, look, you got an hour and a half till the end of the school day, ask him any question you want. Right, and it wasn't even so much the fact that, you know, I got to talk to Matt. It was like Mr. Anderson taking that extra step to realize, like, you know, this kid, like, he's quiet, doesn't have a, little, a lot of self-confidence. Let me try to make his day in this small aspect. And he, he, just, he, he still has no idea. I'm sure he doesn't even remember it, but he still has no idea how much it affected my life. And it merely made me think, like, you know, like, it's so important to get to know the kids in your classroom because – you see them an hour a day at best, and they have these other 23 hours of their life where you just don't know what's going on. You never think to ask. Mm -hmm. Us as teachers are so worried about, you know, our lesson plans and teaching that we don't even realize what's going on in some of these kids' lives. We don't know if the kids' parents got divorced the night before and they're struggling with the situation. I couldn't even imagine at 10 years old going through a divorce. Right. Or dealing with death for the first time, a grandparent dying or a parent being, we just don't know. So I, I, I try to make it um, a point to get to know each of my students. And I think that's so much more important than uh, forcing geography facts down their throat the second day of school. I mean, there's a time and place for everything, but getting to know the person that's in the chair that you're teaching for 180 days is extremely important to me. And it was obviously important to Mr. Anderson as well. Yeah, that's amazing. First of all, I would have been probably stunned into silence and not been able to have asked him like anything right. for an hour and a half. Yeah, um, no, I, I trust me. I had plenty of things going through my mind. So. <laughs> it's like, uh, and that's truly, I mean, uh, talk about leadership. Like, that's an amazing, amazing thing to do for anybody. And, and of course, it's made a tremendous impact on your life. And now it seems like it's, you know, it's your turn um, by creating these relationships with your kids. Do you find that they become more comfortable with you and they learn, I don't know, faster, more easily, more open to new ideas and thought processes because you have the relationship with them? Right. So, yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I think not so much the learning aspect of the, the ability to try new things like, okay, Mr. Ellis has my back. He wants to get to know me as a person. So I'm, I'm going to put, I'm not going to try to, I'm not going to disappoint him. He's legitimately trying. So at St. Evans this year, we started the pizza club. So once a week we pick a random student, they invite six friends and me and a couple of teachers will sit, uh, sit down with them over lunch and just have a conversation over pizza and every kid likes pizza, right? So yes. it's not about the pizza, it's about them like, we'll ask them questions about school and life and nothing about grades, but just how they are and you know, what if you had a problem, would you come to a teacher? And the sad thing is most of them say no because they don't want the burden or they want the, don't want their classmates to know. So yeah, I think establishing that trust and they may not even do it that year, but if they have a problem in life, they're more willing to come to you because you're kind of dehumanizing yourself by opening up to them. It may, it may prove, it may prove what's what I'm looking for. We're, it, it may, there may be a benefit to it later on. Right. Right. Well, and I would agree in that, at least based on my kids' experiences, like, it was rare that they really felt connected to any of their teachers where they felt essentially safe enough to share what was going on for them. 
Right. No, absolutely. And like, again, I'm dealing with 10 year old kids who go through things that I could never imagine going through as a 10 year old. And most of us do, most teachers don't know that. And how could they? Like there's laws that prohibit that. But if a kid is comfortable, I'll tell you like Mr. L was like, I just lost my dog two days ago and I'm struggling. So if my head down is not because I'm being disrespectful, it's because I'm sad. Right. Right. I'm trying not to cry and I'm holding it right. together. And young, young Andrew Ellis would be like, oh, that kid's tired and he didn't get enough sleep and he's being disrespectful because I'm talking. But in reality, what I'm talking about is not as important enough as that kid being cheering that kid up or realize mm-hmm. that kid's going through a tough time and he needs to deal with it. So yeah. what I'm saying is irrelevant to that kid that day. And I totally right. understand that now. Right. Before yeah. I would just assume, oh, he's being, you know, he's just being, he's just being rude. Right. Do you think that's the way we all kind of react to just in general, like adults, like if you're not getting the response from somebody, you start making up those stories. Definitely. And that's, I I think that's a natural human reaction. Yeah. uh, Because how are we supposed to know? Right. I, I'm trying to make it a point too. It's your, you need to know. Right. And the only way you're going to know is unless the parents say it's okay for you to know, or the student tells Mm -hmm. you. And I think not overreacting is huge and it's so hard not to overreact okay yeah i I agree you're you're trying to get a lesson across and that kid may be disturbing other kids but i think there's always an underlying issue yeah yeah absolutely if there's one thing that you could change about the education system outside of building relationships Mm -hmm. what would that be not yeah. to put you on the spot or anything. No, but. <laughs> I, I agree that every student to know that they matter in the world, right? And just being the best version of yourself is completely okay. So I think, especially in middle school, they're trying to find themselves. Their hormones are raging. Yeah. They're they're- what they think is right. They're trying to be popular. They're trying to get attention. And they're just not focused on themselves and what they're good at. Right. So- if you're a really good actor, you should want to be in the play and that should be encouraged, mm-hmm. right? Or if you're a really good artist, let me try to find a way for you to succeed in art and have a platform for you to show off your artwork. But I think kids get lost in the, in the fact that they have to be somebody they're not and the self-confidence just goes down the drain. Getting kids to realize that just being the best version of yourself, totally okay. And if you can leave my class being confident in who you are as a person, and that your hobbies are cool and that you're proud of yourself. And that's a huge win. I don't right. care what your grade is in my class. Grades are, grades are nice and they have their spot. But if you leave my class with confidence in yourself and the confidence to feel that what you like matters and who you are as a person matters, that's the win. It's, it's so funny. We align so closely because that's really what I taught my kids. Like, I want to see you trying and making the effort, but it's not about getting the A right. all the time. Right, because in reality, what's a B in fifth grade math? No one asked for your fifth grade math scores. No, well, even in college, I mean, yeah. with the exception of, you know, a few people, by the time you're 40, nobody cares. Right, um, no, by the time you're 40, <laughs> no one cares. And my first teaching job, they did not ask me any of my grades. They asked me for my yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah. They didn't ask me for my SAT score, but I wish I would have. I wish they. I wish I would have had more confidence when I was applying for my first job. I wish I would have right. been happier with myself than I was because I think that just makes me a better teacher too. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what do your kids say about you? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> I, I think they they would say that Mr. L is cared. He's willing to go outside of the teaching realm in order to make sure that I'm okay, whether it's coming in early or mm -hmm. trying to get to know me as a person. I think he really cares about, you know, me developing as a person and being the best person that I can be, not being redundant, but I think they would say Mr. Ellis cares. And that's all I want him to say. Like, I don't care about, you know, Mr. Ellis, whether it's hard or easy or curriculum stuff, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, like he's a person I can go to if I'm having an issue and I really need help or I can talk to about something or go to him if something's bothering me. But I would hope they would say that, you know, Mr. Ellis cares and he's just not a teacher that, you know, it, it's not an eight to three thirty job for him. It's more than that. And yeah, that's what I hope they would say. Right. Right. I'm sure that they are. And let's talk about that because I think with, with the, your approach, too like it's not an eight to three thirty thing like you're available it sounds like not necessarily every second of the day but you're involved with your students particularly if you're having pizza lunches and other activities plus the grading and the homework mm -hmm. etc you know what is a day in the life of a teacher look like yeah so i it's just a lot of teachers especially at st Edmunds. like you would be hard pressed not to find a teacher that's here at seven o'clock helping a student out. Whether it's math or whether it's just getting themselves together because they had a bad week, you would be hard pressed not to. It seems like half the faculty is here after school helping kids. So the day in the life of a teacher is, you know, not only lesson planning, but you're you're trying to figure out how, how do I get this kid to be more, more responsive to the way I'm teaching or how do I solve this kid or, you know, these guys are struggling on this math concept. What am I doing that I need, what am I missing that I need to do differently? Mm -hmm. So it's just so much more like it's not about the worksheets. It's not about finding time at the copy machine or, you know, getting grades in the grade book. It's a lot of emotional investment in trying to reach kids because at the end of the day, at your job, right? You're, you want to do yeah. reach kids and you can give out as much homework as you want or you can give out as much classwork as you want and you're following this curriculum and all that. But it's so much more than that. I think that's what the rest of society doesn't sometimes understand is like you're dealing with human beings every day and human beings that are very influenced by the way you act and by the way you treat them. Right. right. That may right. An imprint on them and how they wake up in the morning. Do I want to go to school or do I not want to go to school? Am I going to get slammed and yelled at that day? Because I'm not, because I don't, because I'm not doing well in this class or is there going to be some kind of empathy because you know, they know I'm going through a tough time or I shall understand it. So I being a teacher, it's just a, it's a lot of emotional investment in, trying new things and trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I would think too, that at least with my kids, particularly when they were, you know, 11, 12, when they really had their hormones kicking in, like some days you never knew who was coming through the door. Was it the happy kid that still wanted to be the kid or the angry preteen or, you know, somewhere in the middle? Yeah. And like, I give my parents a lot of credit because it was always, how was your, how are you not, what did you get on the math test? Like that was going to come eventually, trust me. Um, but it was always making sure I was okay. And I, I yeah. think sometimes in society, we lose that. We lose, we lose that because it's so, we're so fixated on grades. It's kind of disgusting. Uh, what'd you get on your math test? Not, Hey, how are you? So, so transactionally driven and data driven that we should forget that you're dealing with a human being too. Right. Right. And particularly at that age, I think that's really the foundation of really improving the data is 
you know, having that support as we've talked about and the emotional connection. Yeah, and, so. and just and just a fact, 30% of American schools hand out report cards on Fridays, and the next day, child abuse goes up four times as much. Wow. So, uh, I don't think it's just a coincidence. No, it's not. So that, that's just how we are as a society right now, and hopefully that can change as time evolves, and we realize there's a lot more to a, being a student than just your grades. Right, right. Well, there's so much more to a person than just the number or the letter. Right, exactly. And I think also there's status is a big thing. So is your kid in honors math? Who cares? Um, it's what's best for your kid. It's the same thing as a kid right. would be on the varsity baseball team and sit the bench the whole year, then start a shortstop on JV. Why? Because they're on varsity. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if they would play everything on JV and get better. They're on varsity. So that's a status thing. Right. Right. If you could share like one message for parents so that you could be able to work with or be able or the parents to be able to go into their schools, for instance, and be able to work more cohesively with the teachers, what would that be? I would say we're all so the student, a teacher and a parent all have the same wants, right? They want they want what's best for the the child. Uh, It just may come off differently. Um, so what I would say is take a deep breath. Okay. And let's, what we can figure this out as a team. So I think there's the communication, there's a lot of accusations and there's a lot of, you know, trying to fix the problem right away and it's trying to figure out the process of how to fix a problem. And the grand scheme of things, that problem is going to get resolved, but how we handle it is your son going, your son or daughter going home every day and it's a battle to do homework because you're yelling at them all the time and how do we solve that problem or the process of studying and how do we get it figured out to where both sides have calm heads and we're fi- we're figuring out the process of, ha- of how to improve a test grade. Awesome. So I think, I think we, so, I think we, a lot of times as even as educators, we want an instant result, but there needs to be a process put in place to where we can get to that result. Okay. But with the same understanding that we all want the same thing, you know, there's just right. a, there's just a way to go about it that may be different. Right. And even the child, I mean, essentially wants to have good grades. Sure. Too. They're probably, a lot of times I presume they're kind of stuck in the middle, particularly if they're not in your experience or their parents aren't intentional too, like if it's both sides, but giving them the say of this is what's working or not working for me. So absolutely. And that, you know, and then the grade just sits there in the, the grade just sits there in the grade book and kind of upsets people. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, whether uh-huh. we admit it or not. Yeah, there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. I just think we're so driven as a society. Oh, it's got to be fixed now, and that grade's got to be up now, and that's just not the case, and it's not feasible at all. Right, exactly. So I've loved our conversation because we've touched on so many points that are really important to me about the education system, and I love that you're kind of in the trenches and taking action and, and affecting all of your kids with, you know, just the relationship building and giving them the support that they need so they can really kind of venture out into the world and, you know, and be more problem solving, critical thinking. I have one more question though. What is one thing that nobody knows about you that's helped shape your vision and your views on education? Yeah. So we'll go back to kind of, I, I stated a little bit earlier, but I was diagnosed with depression at a college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just goes back to 
like I sat there in, in a high school and totally felt like I couldn't go to anybody. And I think a lot of our kids go through that today when they're sitting in classrooms and they're amongst 16 other peers and they feel internally like there's no way out or there's no way I can get out of this hole I'm in or get out of this family situation or this great situation I'm in. And it's like an invisible book bag of problems that I had that these kids have. And I wish besides Mr. Anderson that I would have been prompted or felt comfortable enough to tell somebody. So it's, I think it's so important for me way that I treat my students the way I wanted to be treated because I was so lost. And I remember my biggest stress in high school and middle school was finding what lunch table I was going to sit at. And that should be a stress for nobody. You should, you should feel comfortable enough with yourself to go sit anywhere and not worry about what people think of you. Or you should get up in the morning and not have to worry about, you know, someone saying hi to you that day or, you know, how kids are going to treat you. No kids should have to deal with that. Mm -hmm. School should be a comfortable environment. So, you know, I think me sharing my story hopefully helps some kid out there, kids out there that are going through the same thing I did because school can be a unfriendly place to especially kids going through mental illness and family tragedies. So um, I think it's so important that they know that about me and realize that there is hope out there and that they can get through it and there is help out there. But um, I feel so bad for kids that feel like they're pro they don't want to put somebody somebody's problem some of their problems on somebody else or feel like they can't talk about it because that's not the macho thing to do or that's not the boy thing to do. And they're just carrying around this weight on their shoulders all day in school for eight hours and just feel like they have to internalize it. Um, and that's how I felt. So yeah, I think that's what I would want people to know about me is that, you know, I'm not speaking out about this for attention for myself or try to change this overnight. I just want to shed light on the fact that, you know, these kids are, you know, important people to me and important people to their teachers. And they should feel like they can not only talk about a math equation, but they can talk about what's going on in their life and that there's light at the end of the tunnel for all. I love that. I mean, it's, it, again, is part of what I'm trying to accomplish with entrepreneurs in that when you start having the conversation, it really, and you hear people, not just keep your wall up about what your beliefs are versus somebody else. But when you really hear people and support them, things change and become far more possible. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being able to relate is also important. Being able to relate mm -hmm. to your teachers and knowing that they went to the same thing you're going through. Absolutely. Absolutely. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, where can they connect with you? Yeah, so they can go to my website, which is brand new. So it's andrewellisedu.com. And then my and then on the St. Edmunds website, my email is listed on the St. Edmunds website. So they can definitely okay. check out. I'd love to hear anybody's stories about, you know, similar instances or what their son's going through and hopefully your daughter and just allow them to realize like it's gonna get better and um and Sometimes school is not the nicest place in the world, but there's, there's a lot of, it's going, to get, it's going to get better and there's a way out of the hole. Awesome. Thank you. And I'm going to wrap up with that because I think it's a perfect conclusion. 
And I want to thank you for being on the show. I've loved our conversation and thank you everybody for listening. No, I thank you for this platform. This is awesome. Very grateful yeah. to have this platform and the opportunity you gave me. So I appreciate it. Oh, you're very, very welcome. See everybody next week. Awesome. Thank you. See ya. As an entrepreneur, do you ever feel isolated, like you're just grinding away and not getting to the place or reaching the goals that you want? Are you still Maybe there? you've realized yep. that you just spent days, weeks, or even months trying to accomplish something only to figure out that the answer that you have would have saved you all of that time. I know I've had that experience and my clients have as well. And that's why I created the Tribe of Leaders Biz School. Get the accountability, the training, and the knowledge base in a community of like-minded people who are there to support you. Go ahead and check it out. It's thetribeofleaders.com.